Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series titled Elijah. We're learning about an ordinary man with extraordinary faith who stood up in a time of darkness. Thanks for joining us today. Before I start this morning, I just wanted to mention something that was happening this last week in our church. Uh, our staff got to get away on a retreat at one of the camps here in Springfield, and I just have to say it was such a breath of fresh air to get out of survival mode with COVID and start to dream again uh, where God may be leading us as a church in the years and weeks to come. So looking forward to sharing more about that with you. Uh, several months ago, my son, Will, our son, and, and he and I were watching a nature TV show, one hosted by Bear Grylls. Some of you may have seen this one. And we were like amazed by this one story of this particular kind of geese. These geese build their nests on these giant, I don't know what they're called, other than like a castle kind of rock where there's nothing else on the side. They build them there because they want to protect their young from all the dangers down below. The problem is, once these geese are born, they have to find their way down this castle all the way to where the food is. And so we're watching this show. That they can't fly yet, so what do they do? They literally jump off of this castle, and you see them tumbling down on the rocks trying to get to where they need to go. You think there's no way they're going to survive, but they're just kind of stunned for a little bit, and then they try to make their way down over to the grass to get where they needed to be. They had to leave the nest and face some more tests. Well, the stories that we're going to look at the next two weeks as we continue our summer series on the life of Elijah have a similar feel to them. Elijah is going to be asked to leave the nest and endure some tests in order to get him, for God to get him where he needs to be for the most important moment in his life, which Luke is going to talk about in two weeks. Now, if you recall, if you were here last week, even if you weren't, we spent a lot of our time last week. Brian showed us some of the background to Elijah's story. And we learned that during Elijah's time, Israel had given themselves over to foreign gods. The reason for this was because the king at the time was Ahab and his wife was Jezebel. Particularly, they started to worship foreign gods, the god named Baal. And we learned last week that Baal was the god of rain and fertility. Now, because God is jealous for his name and he's jealous for his people, he wants to draw his people back to him. And so he calls this no-name prophet from a backwater town and asks him to be the one to confront Israel with their sin. And as we learned last week, sure enough, even though Elijah was an ordinary man, he was just the person God was looking for. And that's really the big idea of this whole series. If you're following on your notes with me this morning, Elijah was an ordinary man with extraordinary faith. And so he stood up before the king and he issued this challenge to this supposed God of rain and fertility and said, listen, there's gonna be a drought in this land until I say so. But then God starts to put Elijah through some training. Last week we read, Brian showed us, God sends him to this place called Cherith. It's in the middle of nowhere where he told him, I'm gonna provide water for you from this brook and I'm gonna have ravens bring you food. It was a place of waiting and training for Elijah. He wanted to grow his faith there. But the time to leave the nest has come. And here's the question I want to ask you as we walk through this text together this morning. How do we, ordinary people, how many ordinary people we got here in the room right now? How do we as ordinary people develop extraordinary faith? The answer to that question this morning is that God is going to test us. 
He's going to push us out of the nest and give us opportunities to test our faith with him. In other words, I just want to say to you, extraordinary faith doesn't just happen. It's one of the lies we believe when we read the Bible. Elijah was already a person of extraordinary faith. No, he wasn't. He was an ordinary man, and God began to train him. If you're on your notes, extraordinary faith is developed through God's testing. If I want to become a bodybuilder, I have to start training, right? I have to start lifting weights. We tend to think of faith as different than that, but it isn't. It's the same. We have to begin to exercise our faith muscles if we want to grow into extraordinary faith. And today, we're going to see Elijah start to exercise some of those faith muscles. So won't you turn with me? I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. Today, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 16. 7 through 16. In fact, let's just start right away by looking at verse 7 together. It says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Will you read verse 9 out loud on your notes with me there? It says, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Elijah's training continues. If you remember from last week, King Ahab was looking everywhere for Elijah. They wanted to kill him. Every Boba Fett in Israel is looking for this guy's head. So God instructs him to go to this place in Cherith. We believe he was there probably two years. God provided for him. But now the time has come. I want you to leave there, and I want you to travel about 100 miles northeast to a town near, near Sidon called Zarephath. Now, I really loved Brian's maps last week, so let me just follow up with that. You can see way up there on the north end of the map, Elijah is being asked to travel there. And we have to understand, this would have been a really surprising ask from God for Elijah for two particular reasons. First of all, God is now sending him into Gentile territory. What is a Gentile? Anybody who is not Jewish. And listen, not just any Gentile town. He's sending him to Zarephath, which is in the region of Sidon. And do you know who is from there? Jezebel. Literally, God is sending him straight into enemy territory. Second, look at his instructions. I'm going to provide a widow there to care for your needs. You already know this. In this day and age, in this time when this was written, widows were the most vulnerable and needy people there could be. I can't speak for you, but if these were the directions God gave me, I would have considered this an incredibly humbling thing. Instead of saying, I want you to go and provide for this needy widow, I'm going to send you to a widow so that she might provide for you. This amazing, powerful prophet of the Lord being asked to humble himself and look for God's provision in the most unlikely of places. Friends, it's a wonderful reminder as you follow on your notes again that it is often the humble tasks that prepare us for the great ones. Do you know this? God will often test us by giving us small acts of obedience and faith to follow before he will trust us with bigger things to do. Now, interesting, the word Zarephath literally means to smelt, to refine, to test. In the noun form, it means crucible. 
We learned last week that Cherith means to be cut off, to be in a time of waiting. So Zarephath was going to be a time of refining for Elijah. Again, if you're on your notes, this is Elijah's first test. God is refining Elijah with the test of change. Elijah was comfortable. He was familiar with Cherith at this point. But do you know that familiarity never leads to extraordinary faith? So God says, it's time for some change. And in short, he says, I want you to get up, leave everything that represents security to you. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave this brook that I've been providing water with you. I want you to lead the guarantee of food from the ravens that come and go. I want to teach you what it means to rely completely on me. I have more refining to do in your life, Elijah. And that is always how God works in our lives, friends. Isn't it? If you're following on your notes, God's call strips us of our security so we rely on him. Has God ever used the test of change in your life? Calling you out of your familiarity into something new and different? I've shared this before, but I thought for sure God's call in my life was to become a professor of some sort. And so a week after Peggy and I got married, we headed 3,000 miles away to Princeton, New Jersey, where I started seminary at Princeton. And boy, oh boy, was that a change. I had grown up in the church my whole life. I'd studied God's word. We went to, my dad was a seminary professor, and I went to this school that was incredibly challenging. Every day, hearing lectures that challenged the core of my faith. I got into a really low place. However, looking back on that time, I now realize that was my Zarephath. It was a time of refining that God needed to do in my life in order to get me to understand why I believe what I believe. Now, I want to be careful here. The test of change isn't always about moving somewhere. It's not always something big. Sometimes God tests us with the test of change in really small things. He might test us with how we're using our time. Are you wasting time on your phone all day? Or are you going to use your time? Will you change that? in order to be closer with me. He might use the, that, the test of our habits. You might need to change that habit in your life because it's leading you somewhere you don't want to be. He might use the test of relationship. Are you in a relationship that may not be healthy with you? Are you willing to, for you, are you willing to step outside of that? The test of change always comes back to, will I rely on God or will I rely on what's comfortable and familiar to me? I love what Watchman Nee, one of my heroes, says in regard to this test. You can read it on the screen with me here. He says, because of our proneness to look at the bucket and forget the fountain, God has frequently to change his means of supply to keep our eyes fixed on the source. And he uses the test of change. As Brian talked about last week, Elijah remained at Cherith probably two years, but the brook dried up because of the drought. Now, here's a very important question to ask yourself in your life. Could God have kept the brook flowing with water? No? Yeah? Okay. But he had further training in mind for Elijah, and he uses change and challenge to do it. Let me just pause here and mention a lesson God wants us to learn. If you're on your notes, we cannot develop extraordinary faith without leaving our comfort zone. One of the reasons we don't see great things in our life 
is because we refuse to make change. Too many Christians settle for less than what God wants for us because we're happy and cherith. It's familiar. It's comfortable, and yet we haven't even noticed that our spiritual brook has dried up. I love this story. I love that of all people, God asks this poor widow to provide for Elijah. For Elijah to make himself dependent on her leads to the second test we see in this story, the test of God's faith in God's provision. Let's pick up the story in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Now, I believe Elijah has already passed this test. He went to Cherith. He trusted that God would provide through the, through the brook and through the ravens. However, he now has to convince a widow who doesn't even believe in his God. Did you notice she calls him your God? That his God will provide for her that he, she just needs to trust in his provision. This is a second test all of us are gonna faith if, face if we choose to follow Jesus. If you're on your notes... God will test our faith in his ability to provide. Can I get an amen to that? I grew up in a home that always felt like we didn't have enough, always on the edge. And so I grew up with, for money, money means security for me, right? And so for me, like, I have to get enough money in the bank before I can feel secure and safe. And one of the things I've noticed, I'm not saying I like it, but I've noticed is that whenever I'm almost at that point where I think, oh yes, we're almost there, something major happens in our life. It's like God reminding me, I can't base my security on what I have, I can only base it on him. I have to rely completely on God. Put yourself in this widow's shoes right now. Like really do it. You got enough stuff left for one loaf of bread. And this prophet that you don't even believe in his God is trying to persuade you to make a loaf of bread for him, trusting that the Lord he serves will provide. I think that's the best part of the story, don't you? Elijah asks that she feed him first. If you're a parent in this room, tell me how that would feel to you. I want you to feed me first. No, 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 no. I'm going to feed my son first. First, but Elijah says, nope, trust God first and then watch him provide. That is always how God works in our lives. If you're following on your notes, God often asks that we trust him first and then he provides. I will say that again. God will often ask you to trust him first before he provides. 
He wants us to get to the point where we are relying completely 100% on him, even if it seems illogical in our lives. But I've noticed at this moment of truth, when God asks me to trust him, I can usually come up with three pretty good excuses of why not to. Let's walk through these. The first one, if you're on your notes, is the excuse of our situation. I already said this, the weakest, most vulnerable people in the land at the time were women, and even weaker were widows. They were at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. And yet to this person, the Lord asks, I know your situation, but will you trust me? Will you step out in faith and trust me to provide? And I just want to pause here and say, for some of you here this morning, this is the only message you need to hear. It's time for you to get up. Stop mourning. It's time for you to stop blaming your parents for where you find yourself in life. It's time for you to forgive. It's time to leave the past behind. It's time to stop whining and complaining and being critical. I've watched 15 years of kids' sports now. One of my favorite things is when the kids come over and say, it's the ref's fault. Mm Mm-hmm. 2% of the time, maybe, there was a terrible referee. And we laugh at that. We roll our eyes. But I do the same thing. It's my situation's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's this person's fault. Listen, just because you were born or find yourself in a difficult situation, I just have to say to you, God is not limited by that. Being a widow meant she was a nobody. That never stops God's work. I could give you example after example in history of God choosing the nobody who was willing to step out in faith to do extraordinary things, trusting he would provide. Have you ever heard of Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody? Probably the most famous preacher in the United States. Did you know he was born as an orphan? that he had a stammering problem. He wasn't even a good speaker. People would make fun of him, and yet God changed his life, and he stepped out in faith and brought thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. I think we have a tendency today. This is how secular people think. We shouldn't think this way, but we think that God wants to call the person with the right background, the right training, the right social status, the right relationships, the right education, the right upbringing. Those are the people God is looking for. Like when Justin Bieber became a Christian, hallelujah. That's how God works. And God will certainly work through Justin Bieber's faith life. However, some of us find ourselves so disappointed with our situation We think God has no purposes for me. I got to become all these things, famous, rich, popular, whatever, before God could possibly use me. And God says, no, it's the opposite. Every person I've redeemed, there is a work I have for you that only you can do. So don't allow your situation to keep you from fulfilling that call. Don't settle for something less. God is never limited by our situations. Amen? Second excuse I relate to very deeply is the excuse of fear. I'll just talk to myself here because I'm sure this doesn't apply to any of us in this room, right? Fear of what lies ahead, fear of the unknown, fear of getting hurt, fear of the new, fear of stepping out in faith, thinking maybe God won't fulfill his promise to me. There's always a fear factor when God calls people to extraordinary faith. Again, I shared the story. I was asked to speak my senior year in high school in front of 200 kids, and I was as confident as you could be. 
totally joking. I'm throwing up in the bathroom stall beforehand, begging them not to make me go out there. There is always fear when God asks us to step out in faith. And so what do we tend to do? Instead of stepping out, we make lists of pros and cons. Or here's what we tend to do is, Lord, this is what I want to do in my life. Will you please bless this? That's not faith. That's fear. Listen, Elijah understands this widow's fear, right? I want you to go to this brook, and I promise I'll send some birds to feed you. And he does it. But how often do we let fear keep us from stepping out in obedience and miss God's promises? We tend to think of big things right now when I'm talking about this, right? Well, God's going to ask me to move to Africa. Please don't do that, God. No, let's talk about everyday reality, everyday life. Fear of praying with my spouse, so I don't. Fear of inviting my neighbor that I've known for 30 years to come to church. Fear of stepping in when I see somebody at my school being bullied. Those are calls that God is asking us to take. Whatever it is that God may be calling to you, whether it's to ministry or just a call to be more open with your face towards others, do you believe God will provide what you need? He won't always provide what you want. Notice that in this text. People have misuse this text to basically say, if you want a Mercedes-Benz, all you have to do is believe. It's not what this text says. It says he'll provide for you what you need. Have you gotten to the point in your life where you can say to God, what do you want me to do? Here I am. Where do you want me to go? I'm willing to step out into the unknown based on the promise I know that you will be with me. And that's it. I don't need any guarantees because I know you will give me what I need. Third excuse that keeps me from fulfilling my call, maybe the most applicable to the American church today, is the excuse of comfort. I already mentioned this, but responding to God's call in faith is always going to push us out of our comfort zones. Always. And I don't like being pushed out of my comfort zone. Do you? I don't know about you, but I like comfortable Christianity, where all I have to do is simply show up and consume And yet nowhere in the Bible does God say to us that sacrifices won't have to be made if we want to develop extraordinary faith in our lives. Again, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Would a sacrifice have to be made in order to step into a bullying situation or a gossiping situation? Yeah. You could be looked down on. You could be shunned from the group. Would a sacrifice have to be made if I decide to invite a neighbor to join me at church? Yeah, they might laugh in your face. You don't know Can you imagine what the widow is thinking right now? I can feed my child or I can feed this prophet. Comfort must be screaming at her. Take care of your son. Take care of your son. Again, don't miss this. Could God have provided a barrel of flour and buckets full of oil? In fact, let's go further. Could God have provided them any food that they wanted on the face of the earth? Absolutely 100%. But if he had done that, would there have been any need for them to keep trusting him day by day to be their provider? It would have never led them to have extraordinary faith. I thought about this in the context of our own culture. We live in a land flowing with milk and honey, and there are so many good things to be grateful for about that. And yet I wonder sometimes if it doesn't have some downfalls, namely that we have no need to rely on God's provision. It's so easy to get sidetracked from the mission God has for me. 
This is, as C.S. Lewis once said in Screwtape Letters, one of Satan's great tactics for Western Christians. We always think Satan's going to come after us with these huge, giant things in our lives. But friends, if he can keep us distracted with pleasures and comforts, he knows we will take no ground for the kingdom of God. In Screwtape Letters, I'll quote this. Screwtape Letters is basically a satire of a head demon talking to one of his understudy demons. And here is the head demon. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. That enemy, in this case, is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, this is chilling. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I've noticed when everything's going real well in my life, when I have all I need, when the road is clear, I I rely on my own wisdom. I rely on my own resources. I rely on my own abilities. I rely on my own energy. And this is exactly why God tests us with this. When the times are most bleak for you, when the brook run dry, when there's only enough oil and only enough flour for one more piece of bread, are you gonna rely on your own resources at that point? Are you gonna trust that God will be my provider? Give me exactly what I need. I read this awesome story. In 1990, a man in Ottawa, Canada, robbed a bank for $6,000. He was caught and arrested, and they discovered that the gun he used to rob the bank was an antique worth $100,000. What the man didn't know is that he had more than he needed. And I wonder sometimes, is that how we live? living for the 6,000, pursuing the 6,000, instead of trusting that God will provide the 100,000? What does the widow choose? Excuse of her situation, fear, comfort? Let's read verse 15 together out loud on our notes there. It says, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Then verse 16 says, For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. If you're on your notes, the widow stepped out in faith and obeyed God's word. Faith. We say that word a lot as Christians, don't we? Faith. But what is it really? Does faith just mean blindly accepting something as true? Well, here we see that faith is not simply believing something as possible. Faith, real faith, is doing what God asks us to do, trusting that he will provide. The third test of faith, friends, if you're on your notes, is that God will test our faith by waiting for our obedience to provide. We see this in Elijah and the widow, right? They believed God's word to them. They acted on it. And then he provided. One of my devotionals from this week, I read this awesome quote from Dallas Willard. I think it sums up faith beautifully. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. 
or even when we believe that we believe it. I like that. We believe something when we act as if it were true. You see, here's the thing about faith. Faith always requires action. The word we use here is, in, in the Bible is obedience. In fact, if you're on your notes again, there is no extraordinary faith without obedience. The two go hand in hand. It is only when the widow acted in faith that God showed up and provided what she needed. This is one of the most important things we need to learn as Jesus followers. We can't show movie clips right now because we are live streaming, but if I could right now, I'd show that clip from Indiana Jones. You remember when he's trying to get across this chasm? His dad wrote him this book, and he says, promise, son, if you just step out into that chasm, there's this invisible bridge that will catch you. When did his faith actually start? When he stepped out in faith, believing what his dad had written in his book. Interesting, our dad has given us a book as well. And he's told us, if you step out and trust that I have the best life imaginable for you, then you will see me provide. And I'll ask you to do that again and again. One step after the other step, I will wait for your obedience before I provide. He will reveal a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more about his plan for you. God told Elijah, I want you to go into enemy territory. He went. End of the story. Elijah tells this woman, I want you to go and do. In the response, she says, the Bible says she went and she did. That's obedience in its simplest form. And here's the formula to extraordinary faith. Again, if you're on your notes, our obedience plus God's faithfulness equals extraordinary things. Read that again and again. During the testing, Elijah and the widow obeyed, and then God provided the miracle. The bowl of flour was never empty. The jar of oil was never dry. This is how extraordinary faith is developed. Trusting what God says to us is true and stepping out in obedience to follow him. Friends, this is scary. How can we be sure that God is going to provide what we need when we step out in faith? Well, if you're on your notes, we can be sure because he is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord who provides. This is one of God's names. This comes from Genesis 22 when God asked Abraham to step out in faith in a major way and sacrifice his one and only son. And Elijah, or excuse me, Abraham steps out. He brings him to the mountain. He takes the knife. He's ready to sacrifice him. God steps in and says, now I know your faith. And he looks, and there's this ram in the thicket over there. God provided what he needed. And at that moment, Abraham describes him as Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who provides. Same thing with this widow. Same thing with Elijah. It was when they obeyed that the Lord showed up and provided what they need. I think that is the most important learning you take from today. If you're on your notes, God's provision often hinges on our obedience. This is the truth so many American Christians need to discover today. God exhausts our resources, so we have to rely on him. This is all a part of God's training to move ordinary people. How many ordinary people are in here? This is all part of his training to move ordinary people 
to extraordinary faith. So let me ask you, will I step out in obedience expecting God to provide? Now, my temptation at this point is to give 30 examples of where you might want to do that in your life. But I believe if you're following Jesus, you have Jesus' spirit in you right now. And because you have that, Jesus wants to lead you and guide you. He wants you to trust him. And so in just a couple moments right now, we're going to take some time just in some silent, reflective prayer. And I really believe if you open yourself up to Christ in you, the hope of glory, he will show you, here's where I'm asking you to step out in faith, to trust me that I will provide for you in this situation. And I just want to say before we do that, whatever he's asking, don't panic. Don't worry. Don't let your situation or your fear or the comfort keep you from stepping out and obeying God's word because he is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide what you need. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, as your people right now, we confess we're comfortable. We can be apathetic. We don't expect as ordinary people that you would want to do something important in us and through us. We believe the lie that you choose extraordinary people. Instead of believing that if I am redeemed, there is a work that only I can do by faith, in obedience, that you're calling me to. And so right now, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, those who are watching online, as we just spend some time with you. Would you show us where you might be asking us to step out and believe that you really are Jehovah Jireh? the Lord who provides. Father, we pray that you would give us the faith of this widow to have courage, to trust, and ultimately to step out wherever you are leading us. In you, we have the Holy Spirit of power. So give us courage, strength, trust. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.